welcome to our um, gospel growth time. So here's what I want to do today is uh, I want to wrestle uh, with a question today with you and then share with you some of the things that I've been learning. So, uh, and it's this whole gospel growth uh, season right here, we're just trying to wrestle with some of the hard themes that are covered in 1 Timothy um, that could use a little more teaching time and uh, maybe involve uh, history and theology and other texts of scripture. So it's clear from scripture that men can serve as deacons. And I say that because in 1 Timothy 3.12, one of the qualifications in 1 Timothy 3.12 is, do you see it there? It's husband of one wife which seems to indicate that men can be deacons because in the qualifications, it has one of them, husband of one wife. It's really never been a a disputed point. If you look through church history, no one's arguing, we don't think that men can serve as deacons. We don't want any male servants in the church. Don't want any of them. Like nobody's saying that uh, at all through church history. So it's, it's clear they can serve as deacons. But here's the question I want to wrestle with. But should the office be open to women or not? This is an important question for us to consider, especially as we look at passages like 1 Timothy 3, verse 11. Do you see it? Verse number 11. 1 Timothy 3, 11. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. So there's a verse there that's talking about women in the midst of this whole deacon passage. Can I show you one other verse? Go to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. Just taking you to uh, the two passages that are um, most often debated in terms of this question. Should the office of deacon be open to women as well? So Romans chapter 16 verse 1 says... I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sencrea. Now, my Bible has a little um, superscript next to the word servant. Does yours? And it takes you down to a footnote, and you look at the footnote, and it says, or deaconess. That's what mine says. Anyone else's Bible have a footnote like that that kind of takes you down there? Okay, some of you have that. Okay. So... There are good arguments on both sides of this discussion, I think. I mean, I've done a lot of reading of these. I thought about bringing my stack of books, but it was just too big to carry in. Just a huge stack of books. If you're like, well, I want to read more on my side of the argument so I feel more certain that I'm right. If you want to do that, I have books for your side of the argument. doesn't matter which side you've got. I've got books on that, okay? I can help you. That. Or maybe you're here and you're like, I want to read on the other side of the argument because I'd like to learn a little bit more. And I have books on that as well. But I think both sides of the argument um, uh, have some good things to contribute. Uh, I've thought about, I better not put that next to technology. Let's just set that down there. Okay, I've thought about this um, kind of this way. And, and this, so this is the deacon. Radiant. Okay, so over here, this would be men only position. 
And over here, this would be women and men position, okay? And I think there's actually some good arguments on both sides. And I think I'm just going to share with you with full transparency that my studies, uh, biblically, theologically, historically, have moved me more towards one side uh, than the other in uh, the recent weeks. Okay, so I want to suggest to you that it's, that it's not a closed case. So I think those who would come to you saying, it's like, I mean, for sure, you probably just haven't read enough. And it's because there, there really are some solid arguments on both sides that you've got to wrestle with. And in the end, you still might be like, mm, not sure. Maybe I lean a little bit this way more than this way but you're not sure. And that's probably why great Bible-believing, and I'll even put this in there, complementarian churches are on both sides of the deacon discussion. So I say they're complementarian. They're not calling for female elders, but there are good complementarian, faithful churches that actually side uh, on on both sides of this argument. I want to say that because Our discussion about deacons or deaconesses is not a slippery slope towards egalitarianism. Though someone could use it that way. All right, there could be a church that wants to move towards egalitarianism and they're going to use deaconesses to take the first step. There are churches that can do that. But I want to suggest to you that this discussion does not need to entail egalitarianism at all. This is a separate office. There are separate responsibilities. There are separate lists of qualifications. Um, so it, it's not a slippery slope towards egalitarianism, though it could be mishandled that way. Second, it's not a feminist agenda to hold this position because this was before the rise of feminism. Okay, and I can show you that historically. Um, we're not talking about equal rights or equal opportunities. That's not how you do offices in the church. Well, we want equal opportunities. Well, then everyone's an elder. No, that's not how you do offices in the church. It's not about representation. We need more representation from, no, that's not how you do offices in the church. It's not about recognition. We really need to recognize this person. So we're going to make them a, no, that's not how we do it. That's not what scriptures teach us. So really what we're trying to understand here is, well, what does God's word say for his church and how can, to the best of our abilities, we submit to it and just, just follow it? So here's what I'm going to try to do. I'll, I'll try to do this in the next few minutes. I'm going to try to lay out what I think are the strongest arguments for this side over here and then the strongest arguments for this side. And we'll see what happens. <laughs> okay. Um, this, this first section are arguments uh, for not having deaconesses, uh, not having deaconesses. And this would be an argument where what you do in the two passages that I just read, so let's just do this, not not deaconesses. These are the arguments 
we're going to have to deal with 1 Timothy 3.11 and uh, Romans 16.1. Okay? So we have to deal with Phoebe and we have to deal with their wives. Okay? If you hold the position where the, the office of deacon should be restricted to men only, then your reading um, is going to leave 1 Timothy 3.11 as wives and Romans 16.1 as servant. Now, that's as opposed to those who would want to include uh, women in the deacon. They see that women sh- should be able to serve as deacons. And then they would translate 1 Timothy 3.11 as women instead of wives. And as deacon or deaconess instead of servant for Phoebe. Are you, are you tracking here? Okay, so for this one, let me see if I can give you seven arguments for this position. First, look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. What is the theme of that section. Maybe it even has it printed in your Bible with a little heading. What is the heading? Someone? Anyone? It's not a trick question. Qualifications for deacons. Okay, so this whole section, qualifications for deacons, verses 8 through 13. If this whole section is clearly focused on deacons, doesn't it seem unwieldy? that he would introduce in the middle of it a new category of worker and break up the flow of the text. Only then to return to the office that he had been previously discussing. So those who argue for this position are going to say, like, just, I mean, just, and I'm going to tell you, like, I think there's something to this argument. The flow of the text. Okay, deacons, they need to be dignified, not double-tongued, not greedy. They must hold the mystery of faith, clear conscience, be tested. And their wives, okay, their wives need to be like this. Okay, and they need to manage their household. And they need to have a marriage that looks like this. And then if they serve well as deacons, they gain a good standing for themselves and great confidence. And that seems to flow for me. But when I read it like this, deacons must be dignified, not double-tongued, dignified, not double-tongued, clear conscience. And then deaconesses, verse 11, must be dignified, not slanderous, sober, faithful, and all things. And then deacons, then we go back, okay, wait, wait, we're flip-flopping back to deacons again here? They have to be a husband of one wife, managing their own. Do you see it? What they're saying here for argument number one is that the best flow of the text is to keep it talking about deacons. It seems to just be talking about deacons and then talk about their wives and their marriage and their family. And then if they do a good job, this is the result. That seems to flow. Doesn't it? Logically. Just seems to flow better. As opposed to talk about deacons, then talk about deaconesses, then talk about deacons again. Like, why did he stick it there? That seems to break the flow. So, one of the arguments for not having deaconesses is because of the flow of the text. It seems unwieldy to introduce a new office in the middle of talking about another one. Here's argument number two. For this position, if Paul was introducing a new office of deaconess, wouldn't you expect more details in these qualifications? I mean, just pause for a second. When we look at elders, we have seven verses. First Timothy 3, 1 through 7. You have seven verses talking about qualifications for elders. When you look at deacons, 
even if you take verse 11 out, you have five verses on deacons. So now you're going to introduce a brand new office and you're going to give it one verse? Really? Seven verses, five verses, one verse? So the argument here is, well, (laughs) I mean, if he was really going to introduce deaconesses, it seems like he would use more space to play this out and help us understand it better. Give us some more details. The brevity, the argument goes this way, the brevity points to a side comment about deacons' wives more than a whole new position description. Verse 11 seems like a rather short position description. Okay, that's argument number two. Here's argument, oh, so that one, that one is short position description. Okay, here's argument number three, and that is because the role of deacon is so focused on serving and not leading, deacon's wives could be easily involved with their husbands. I mean, if you read 1 Timothy 2, it says that the wives are not supposed to exercise authority in the gathered congregation. They're not supposed to be teaching in the gathered congregation. But listen, deacons are servants, and that seems like their wives would be welcomed into that, as opposed to elders' wives. I mean, if an elder is supposed to lead and teach, it doesn't really work well for his wife to come if she's not allowed to lead or teach, you know. So we wouldn't expect to see the wife mentioned in the elders list, but we would expect to see it in the deacon list because the deacons are servants. And so we would naturally expect that their wives would be involved. So it's, it's about serving and it's an easy on-ramp for wives. Okay, uh, number uh, four, number four. If verse 11 is a new position, why isn't there any mention of the woman's marital status? So if we're introducing a new office, that of deaconess, why doesn't it talk about her marital status in any way? When we look at the elder in verse 2, it talks about his marital status. When we look at the deacon in verse 12, it talks about his marital status. So why is there an absence of any marital expectations in verse number 11, if this is supposedly a new office. It just doesn't seem to match what we see in the others. But it does make sense if she's already married to the deacon being discussed. If she's already married to the deacon that's being discussed, we don't have to talk about her marital status. Wives, right? So we don't have to talk anymore about that. But if it's a new office, why is that absent? So... Number four would be marital status. Is absent. Where we would expect it to parallel that of deacon and elders in verse two and verse 12 if this was in fact a new office. Okay, one, two, three, four. Here's number five. The Greek word that underlies wives, gynaikos, in verses 2 and 12, is clearly wives. It's translated wives. It's clearly wives. Why would we expect it to be translated differently in verse 11? So look at 1 Timothy 3, 2. 
Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. The word is clearly intending to say not the husband of one woman, but the husband of one wife. Same thing in verse number 12. Let the deacons each be the husband of one wife. So the word is translated wife in verse 2. It's translated wife in verse 12. So why isn't the same word translated wife in verse 11? And you look down at your Bible and say, well, it is. And then you're like, oh, yeah, okay, this is my argument. <laughs> you know. So the argument just goes, if this Greek word is translated wives and not women in verse 2, it's translated wives and not women in verse 12, why would we expect something different in verse 11? Okay. And then, okay, so that would be in verse 2, verse 12. Sure. Number 11. Okay. One, two, three, four, five. Here's number six. If Paul wanted to be clear that these are women deacons in verse number 11, he could have just said women deacons in Greek. Gynekos diakonus. And instead... He just says women, just leaves it as women. I mean, if he really wanted to say these are women deacons and help us understand that this is a new office, why didn't he just say women deacons? He didn't say it. He didn't say women deacons. Okay, last one. <laughs> this is my last one. Oh, sorry, two more. <laughs> number seven number seven this one has to do with the Jerusalem church what do you think about this one the Jerusalem church only had whoops only had what men it says it really clearly there the Jerusalem church had seven men now surely in that group of 3,000 plus people there were a few women there and if they wanted to have women deacons why didn't they just call out a mixture of men and women, but they didn't do that. It says, choose out from among you seven men full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, full of faith, and that's what they did, and then it lists the men. Um, uh, number eight, uh, Phoebe. Okay, let me just write it. Phoebe was more, more likely a servant than a deaconess. And you say, well, what's the argument here? The argument is that we should probably translate it more as describing her as being ministry-oriented or servant-hearted rather than a servant or a deaconess of the church. And that's because the word diakonos was used of a great many people in the scriptures, uh, but it didn't refer to a formal office. So Paul is called a diakonos. Um, Epaphras is called a diakonos. Tychicus is called a diakonos. Timothy himself is called a diakonos. But it doesn't mean that they were deacons. It means that they were servants. So Phoebe is called a diakonos. Big deal. There's a lot of people called diakonos. We don't conclude that they're all formal officers in the church, that they're all deacons, do we? I mean, that's how that argument goes. Okay. So those are the best ones um, that I came across or could think of in terms of this position not deaconesses. Are there any in the congregation that you have maybe one that I missed that you think is a strong argument? Okay, yes. Uh, I just had a, a question about the translation 
No questions. No, I'm joking. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. Go ahead. I'm joking. And where are you looking? I'm sorry, which? In, in, into your linear Bible. With verse 11 and verse 12. Verse 11, it has an ending in AS, and verse 12 it has an ending in OS. Uh, it's because of the declination of that noun. Okay. Like, how, it is, how that noun is used in the sentence. Okay. That, that, and so it's, yeah. verbs are conjugated and nouns are declined. Yeah. And it depends on where that noun is used in a Greek sentence for that ending. Same word, though. Okay? Good question. Okay, so that's these. How many of you, you're like, that's, that's where I'm at. <laughs> okay, I mean, I've, I've, pretty much, I've pretty much been here. This is, I mean, I don't think these are terrible arguments, actually. I think, and I hope I'm not presenting them as such. You're like, you are. <laughs> um, I'm just... I actually, I actually think that some of these are solid arguments, and they're held by very, very smart, God-honoring, Bible-submissive people. And I, I mean, I could give you a great list of these. Okay, let's do the other one, though. Um, can I tell you that, you know, prior to this study, I would just say that I feel safest right here. I mean, I still kind of do. The reason I feel safest is because no one debates whether men can be deacons. No one debates that. It feels safe to me. <laughs> I don't know, we just have men deacons. I mean, surely men can be deacons, right? I mean, the husband of one wife, that's all I have to say. And they're like, yeah, well, yeah, I guess. And then there's like, I don't have to argue at all. It feels so nice. So. Really, this has been, you know, like, I'm sure, I'm sure that they can be deacons. Men can be deacons. I'm sure of that. And so that's been kind of where I've rested. And there have been some of these that have stood out to me as strong arguments. I mean, this one right here, the Jerusalem church, I mean, it is kind of significant. They do say seven men, and they could have picked women if this is kind of the prototype that we have for deacons. So I think that one's a strong one. Um, for quite a while, the, the idea of the flow of the text was strong in my mind. It's like the force was strong with me. Um, th that was, you know, um, I, I do think this one too. Like, that is interesting that we would introduce a new office with such a short description. It's an argument from silence. I know it's not the strongest argument, but you're just wondering like, oh, I wish he knew some of the tension that we feel in our modern era and would have helped us a little more. Um, yeah. And listen, Phoebe. <laughs> I mean, it's true. There are a lot of people called servants, and it doesn't mean they're all deacons in the church. I mean, that's true. Okay, so now let's, for real, because I'm running out of time. Okay. Um, Let's start with the Greek word diakonos. I'm not going to number these. Is that okay? I'm just going to put some of them up there. Let's start with the Greek word diakonos. Um, it had no female form for that noun uh, until one was coined in the fourth century. 
So basically, it's a noun that's masculine noun. And I would just suggest in English, some of you think about the noun deacon in a masculine way. Like that's just what comes to your mind. You, you hear the word deacon, you think of men who serve the church. It's a masculine noun in the Greek. But it didn't have a gender connotation with it because there was no feminine counterpart until one was coined at the Council of Nicaea in 325. So when, when people heard, in first century, heard the word diakonos, it would be like hearing the word teacher or server. And that is, when you think of a server, you don't know if it's a guy or a lady who's going to come to your table. It's a server. It doesn't have a gender connotation with that word. Or teacher. You don't know if it's a male or a female teacher. Diakonos was like that. So I think maybe we have to reprogram our minds to consider the word itself in the first century as having no female form. It was a word, though masculine, did not have a gender connotation. It's actually a masculine noun that's used to describe Phoebe, a woman. It's because there was no feminine noun form of this until one was made up, like coined uh, at the Council of Nicaea. So when we get to Phoebe in Romans 16.1, the masculine noun is used there. Um, One of the questions in the text that I want to bring out to you is notice the distinction between verse number two and verse number eight in number, in number. The one's talking about an overseer and the other one's talking about deacons. What's the difference? It's not a trick question. One is singular and one is plural. Okay, there, you're like, wow, epiphany. Verse number two, it says, therefore, an overseer must be, and it goes to this list. When you get to verse eight, it says, deacons, plural, likewise must. And so a question that comes to the surface is, why is deacons plural, whereas overseer is singular in these two lists of qualifications? Especially when we look at Philippians chapter one, verse one, that I read at the beginning of the first service, Philippians 1, 1. It says, overseers, plural, and deacons, plural. And the overarching swath of the New Testament shows that there was a plurality of elders in churches. And there we see a plurality of deacons as well. But why, when it comes to qualifications, is overseer singular and deacons plural? Well, the reason overseer is singular is likely because the text is simply describing the qualifications for the role, not the quantity of those who fill the role. In other words, this is not an argument to have one pastor in a church because you look at the rest of the New Testament and there's plurality of elders. It's actually singular because it's just describing the qualifications for that slot or that role, not the number of people who fill that role in any given church. But then you're asking, okay, so then why is deacons plural in verse 8? And the answer could be because there's more than one kind of deacon. I.e., 
male servants and female servants of the church. And so it's possible that the reason deacons is plural is because there's more than one kind. Whereas elders, that's not the case. He just uses singular and describes the role. Uh, Stanley Porter explained it like this. It might indicate that the focus on the overseer is subject to less variety than the deacons, where two types are introduced, deacons as a whole and then female deacons. So that might be one to consider. Why a singular, why plural? And I'm just suggesting on the argument side for four deaconesses, they would say, well, maybe it's because there's more than one type of deacon. Okay. What about the Greek word underneath wives or women? What about this Greek word uh, underneath them? Paul uses it both ways in 1 Timothy. The word, word can mean women generally. 1 Timothy 2.9, 1 Timothy 2.10, 11, 12, 14 means women generally. Means wives specifically in 1 Timothy 3.2, 3.12, So how do we know whether we should translate it wives or women? And the answer is context. Context tells us how to do this. However, various English translations have done it differently. So if you look at your ESV, um, you have their wives. Same with the KJV, NEB, NIV, NLT, TEV. They all um, translate it wives, though many of them have a marginal note or a footnote that says, or women. When you get to the amplified version, the NASB, the NRSV, they translate it women with a marginal note that says wives. <laughs> so they're, they're like citing, you know, the opposite of what they choose in their translation. That's because the word actually can be translated either way. And there are English translations that do it either way in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 11. Now, is there anything else about the structure of this text that would lean us one way or the other? Well, I want to show you an introductory word. It's a word that introduces a new but related idea, and it's found in this text. Here in my translation, it's translated as likewise. Likewise, do you see that? In uh, verse number... Let me see where I want to go back to here. I want to go back to um, I want to go back to verse number eight in 1 Timothy 3. It says, "Deacons likewise." He just finished a whole section on elders' qualifications, finishes elders, and then he goes, "Deacons likewise." Now look at verse number 11. Women or wives, what's the next word? Likewise. So what is he doing here structurally? Is he introducing a new but related idea following this structure? So it would look something like this. You have elders. And then you have likewise. Verse 8. Deacons. And 
then likewise. Verse 11, what? Deaconesses. So structurally, uh, does it follow this? And also, the carryover of the, of the verb from the very beginning, there's, uh, these, these sections are dependent on a verb from verse number two, and that's must be. So elders must be. And then it says, likewise, deacons must be. Likewise, women or wives, what must be. And what's interesting is what follows this is dignified plus three other qualifications. Must be dignified plus three other qualifications. Must be dignified, three other qualifications. In other words, what I'm trying to point out is that there is interesting symmetry between these that kind of breaks this down um, uh, grammatically in this text. Let's keep going. Look at verse number 11. You're looking at it, and it says, yeah, but it says they're wives. Well, remember, wives could be women, and the word there isn't there. T-H-E-I-R isn't T-H-E-R-E. So when you go to the Greek, it's not there. It doesn't have their wives or their women. It just has... It's either wives or women. The possessive pronoun is not in the Greek. It is supplied for ease of reading. But that is something to consider when you're thinking through um, your position on this. Um, So what could be the potential structure for this text at large? Remember, because on the other side, they said, yeah, but what about the flow of the text? I mean, this interruption? I mean, really? Okay, what could be the potential flow of this text? Well, in verses 8 through 10, you get requirements for deacons in general. Verse number 11. You get requirements for whom? Well, in this position, Q-U-I-I. That's the word requirements. (laughs) For women who serve as deacons, verse number 12. Requirements for men who serve as deacons. I can't like talk and spell. I failed spelling in fifth grade. (laughs) Men who (laughs) serve... who serve as deacons. And then verse 13 is, is, uh, is kind of goes back to general. It's kind of the results for general deacons who serve well. So a potential structure for this text that includes the idea of deaconess could be, well, he gives these broad descriptions for all deacons, men or women. Then he focuses in on the women and says, well, ladies, this is really where you're at. And then he focuses in on men and says, men, this is what you really need to get. And then if you all deacons do this, here's the result. So, uh, I mean, that kind of makes sense. 
I don't know if that's imposed on the text. I think that makes sense. Like, again, the other side kind of makes sense, too. This is where we're struggling. <laughs> okay, let's do one. Uh, we're supposed to start church. And <laughs> service number two is supposed to start in seven minutes. All right, we're done. <laughs> Hope you figured it out. I, <laughs> no, I will, uh, I'll come back and finish this. Um, the next time I teach, okay? So in two weeks, I'll come back. It's like a cliffhanger. Dun, dun, dun. Come back next time and hear more. 